Welcome to Married to History, where we try to be informative, entertaining, and family-friendly. Aloha! I'm Christopher. I have a fancy piece of paper on my wall that says that I know more about history than most people do! I'm Shirley. I'm a homeschool mom that relies on good curriculum, Christopher, and ragtime to teach our kids history. And the people called it ragtime. Ragtime. I hope I'm remembering that right. That was, that was correct. A good, that was, a good, that was good that musical. Was I enjoyed that. It helped that Jeff was in it. It's awesome. Always. All, all musicals are better when they cast Jeff. <laughs> all right. Uh, before we get into our episode, let's take a minute to talk about something from a past episode. It's important to keep in mind that Shirley doesn't warn me about our topic beforehand. Yep, it's fun for me to see what he knows right off the top of his head, and that means sometimes we miss things. If you'd like to hear a more comprehensive and well-prepared episode on any topic, just let us know. So, honey, what have we learned since last time? Okay, well, I didn't do a deep dive into this, just like a passing fancy glance, uh, curious uh -huh. about how Hungary got its name. Yeah. So uh, there were a couple different theories that I saw. Don't know which one is real. Um, arguably, it's a combination of them all. Okay. Um, so some of the leading ones that I got were that the that um, the name actually was given by the Romans. Uh -huh. That in the Roman language, they named the area Ungary. Or I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. You're probably not. Uh, <laughs> something that sounded along the lines of Ungary. Mm -hmm. And just as time went on, uh, medieval language changes the H got added to it so it eventually became Hungary um, another one that I saw was that um, the Turkish word for the area uh -huh. uh, I've forgotten what it was now but it sounded something like a Hungary or at least something like Hungary without the H in front okay um, and but and in their tongue that meant uh, I think the land of the ten arrows or something like that so I don't yeah. get the significance of what that name was uh, but then I wasn't convinced that, okay, that name didn't, that they didn't take that name from the people that were already there instead of naming mm. the land themselves. So the honest answer would be, still don't know exactly how Hungary got its name, mm -hmm. but I'm inclined to believe that um, that this, the, the idea that the Romans named it Ungari, uh, and they named it uh, from, or stole the name from the Greeks, but the Greeks called it something else that didn't even sound at all like Hungary. So, Clear as mud. So yeah, I'm not sure exactly how that could have happened. So there remains a mystery, and these types of mysteries are normally the things that get my attention. But mm -hmm. in since uh, to make a short confession, uh, it's been like five minutes since we ended the last episode. So in that five minutes, I have not done the deep dive that I yeah. usually do when I'm curious about something in history. <laughs> I usually spend at least six whole minutes looking up things. True, true. <laughs> All right, well, if anybody does know... Or would like to read the Wikipedia article and explain it to us better. We would Wikipedia. love people there are to send in corrections. I'm not saying that Wikipedia ain't <laughs> useful, but there are better sources than Wikipedia. Look, to, I, I've you said this before, and I'll say it again. You look at the sources yes. that people cite Scroll on Wikipedia. Scroll down and read those. And don't be afraid to look for other sources too. That's too much work. I recognize that it's not for everybody, <laughs> but at least for somebody like me, it's fun to mm -hmm. get all those details. Yep, and that's why I keep you around. All right, well, honey, I have because a history question for, for you. you. So I don't have to do all the work of, of searching it, it out, because I'm curious to know, uh, but yes. I don't want to do the searching. The, the whole reason for this existing is so that you don't have to do the searching, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> Well, I do have another history question for you. I love history questions, especially two in five minutes. <laughs> All right. Can you explain something to me? 
I heard this quote from a great historian, and I don't quite understand it, but it does feel true. He said, history began on July 4th, 1776. (laughs) Everything that happened before that was a mistake. All right. The fictional character who said that to you was not not correct. There was indeed... It was Ron Swanson, by the the, way. Yes, I know that. (laughs) From Parks and Rec. I'm a big fan of Ron Swanson. I'm a big fan of Ron Swanson. If I remember correctly, I avoided watching that show forever and a day, and then Mm -hmm. you finally got me to watch it by just showing me several Ron Swanson clips in a row. And I'm like, I like this character. He's great. I, I, and now I can say that. I, I hope that, uh, what is it, Over, uh, Oppen, Offerman. 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 I, I hope that he's a listener because I would love to get to meet him one day and <laughs> do, a, awesome. do a podcast episode with me and Ron uh, debating <laughs> back and forth as to whether or not history indeed started in 1776. Yep. But yeah, so l- lest there be any doubts to the matter, I am willing to stake my professional <laughs> reputation on it and that fancy piece of paper on the wall mm-hmm. that there was indeed history that was not a mistake before July 4th, 1776. But, like, how far before? Like, just just far enough before for, like, when Common Sense was written or something? I would say at least 6,000 <laughs> years before, because, uh, to the best of my knowledge, the uh, the oldest history records that we have mm-hmm. are somewhere around 4,000, a date to somewhere around 4,000 mm-hmm. B.C. Dang. Now, I know we have stuff that's earlier than yeah. even that, or at least I'm pretty sure we have stuff that's earlier than even that, mm-hmm. but that's my go-to starting point mm. where, like, we actually, uh, in my opinion, we actually start having, like, enough details that we can make reasonable conclusions instead mm-hmm. of much more wild guesses. Okay. Well, tell me what did happen on July 4th, 1776, and why do we care so much? Why was it so important? On July 4th, 17th, Really? I don't know. Couldn't think of a better topic than Do this. you have a better topic? On July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of In- the, Yes, the Declaration of Independence was ratified by the Second Continental Congress. So, up until this point, uh, this is a misconception that a lot of people have. Up until this point, the United or the 13 colonies, the 13 British colonies in America mm-hmm. had no intention of declaring themselves an independent nation. They okay. did not want an independent nation. They did not want a new, freer government. They didn't want any uh, any of these things that we normally talk about when yeah. we think about the causes of the American Revolution. Okay. The ultimately the thing they wanted more than anything, or the two things that they wanted more than anything else. Mm-hmm. One, they wanted a seat in Parliament. They right. wanted representation in the representative government. They didn't want to form a new government. They were happy with the British government. A lot of our government kept things, a lot yeah. of things, from the British government and from British but law. But we made it better. We made it more representative for ourselves, yes. Now we made it better. And then the second thing that the American colonies wanted was what you and I would recognize today as capitalism. They mm-hmm. wanted free trade. They wanted to be able to buy from whoever they wanted to, mm-hmm. sell to whoever they wanted to, for whatever prices that they of themselves decided they wanted to buy or sell at, instead of being forced to buy only British goods at predetermined prices and only being able to sell to British merchants at, again, predetermined prices. Okay. And that all of that was true during the... Or they were they were restricted in that way yep. before the revolution. So the Britain, so um, we might have talked about this before. At least I have this conversation with my students on a number of occasions. So the British government prior to the American Revolution and well, and even after the American Revolution, uh-huh. practiced what we call mercantilism. So it hasn't it has an an essential element of capitalism in that it's about merchandising. It's about okay. selling your stuff 
to the rest of the world. It's about creating wealth through selling goods. Okay. Uh, but under the most mercantile systems, this leads to government-sponsored monopolies. So the East India Company is a good example of this. Yeah. Basically, uh, so, so I'm not familiar with the all the details of it, so I'm going to paraphrase a little For bit here. shame. I thought you were a historian. Really? This seems you, like you a really important thing that you should know. I do know these things. <laughs> I do not have all the ironclad okay. details of it, so that's why I'm going to just okay. simplify this for a couple of things. Okay. So basically, some people said, hey, we want to start a company. We mm -hmm. want you to do business selling or buying and selling goods from the colonies in India or the colonies that are in Asia. Okay. And so the British monarch here, rather the British government will say, all right, we're going to let you do that. You have a monopoly on all the goods, and in exchange for you having this monopoly, you the the government is going to get uh, a cut of the profits, or as taxes, arguably. Yeah. So the mercantilism is basically government-sponsored monopolies. What this means is that, all right, the, there's a group of people, or either one person or a group of people, or a single company, whether that company be being run by one person or by a board, mm -hmm. has the monopoly to engage in the type of business that they want to do. Okay. And they also have a monopoly in buying and selling. So people throughout the British Empire are only allowed to buy their goods from this company and only allowed to sell their goods to this company. This isn't so, much better than feudalism. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, okay, so I'm, I'm going to continue You don't have that. freedom to, like, start your own business. That is true, yes. Okay. So, well, I'm going to be clear. You can start your own livelihood, but as far as mercantilism is okay. concerned, you do need to have that government sponsorship. And you're not going to unless you're one of the big companies or you have ties or, like... That would be... So like um so I'm gonna switch the off the East India Company. I'm gonna okay. take the textile industry for example. So the textile industry makes its money by making clothing and selling that clothing. This is actually the thing that makes Britain rich. I thought they made tiles. No. <laughs> the textile industry is fabrics. Okay. So uh, the textile industry is the thing that makes Britain rich. It's the first. Uh, it's the first. Uh, What's, what's the word I'm looking at? It's the first good that industrializes, that uses automation or machines to okay. put it together. Um, and they sell their clothing, their fabric goods, all over the uh, all over the world, not just yeah. the British Empire. But if you are a citizen of the British Empire, let's say that you are a cotton, you have a cotton plantation out in the Americas or in India, because yeah. they got a lot of their cotton there too. Or let's say that you are a sheep herder, so you get a lot of wool. Uh -huh. You can only sell your wool or your cotton to the British mercantile companies. You cannot sell it to anybody else. Wait, you can't sell it to I... Okay, you can't sell ahead. it to Dutch merchants, you can't sell it to Spanish merchants, to French merchants, and you certainly can't sell it to anybody in the anybody who has a weaving mill yeah. in the American colonies if it is not a weaving mill owned by the company that has been given permission by the British government. I literally And likewise can't you fail. cannot buy shirts made by Dutch merchants or Spanish merchants or French merchants or some person who's just living in the colonies and happens to have been sewing their own shirt can't buy from them either because that is against the law that's super messed up it's super so you and i say let's that let's overthrow the government you and i say that because we have gotten used to capitalism this idea yeah. of freedom but that wasn't the idea but back like, then if i raise my sheep i should be able to shear them and go to market and sell it to my neighbor who has a loom and then buy the shirt the next week when I go to market again that they have made with my wool. You know that, and I know that, but that doesn't make the government rich. <laughs> 
And I want to point out, so you were comparing this to the feudal system? Feudal yeah. system? All right, so back in the feudal system, what would have happened is you were taking care of your landlord's yeah. sheep. You don't shear those sheep and then sell the wool to the merchant. You it's shear those his. sheep and you give it to him. Right. And he may give you food or whatnot or yeah. uh, compensate you in some way. But you're still going to have to give it to him and only him yeah. and accept only what he's going to give you for it. Right. Okay. So it's not much different than oh, okay. feudalism. That, that, that is fair then. Yes, it is not that much different from the feudal system. I don't know why in my head I was thinking that. No, it's different. <laughs> no, it's the same. You proved it. By that same token, those and this is an argument that some people use today, slavery is the same as our capitalist system today because uh -huh. people are working for, or sure, they're working for money, they're getting paid, but are they being paid what they're worth? No. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So that gets us into all kinds of ugly situations. I'm not saying there yeah. isn't an argument or, or discussion for that. No, but that's but for that's, another day. Yeah. So anyways, so the colonists, they wanted capitalism the and they wanted greater representation in parliament. Okay. They did not get either of those. So after many, many attempts to resolve the matter through economic means, so they started off by boycotting and decided, okay, uh -huh. we're not going to buy British goods anymore. And this meant that there became a huge market for black market goods yeah. in the American colonies. They started buying black market stuff and selling black market stuff. Yeah. But um, uh, so after the, Bo the Boston Tea Party was an example of uh -huh. this, they didn't want the tea going to British loyalist merchants. They wanted to be able to buy and sell the tea on their own, but they couldn't do that. So the the couple people dumped the tea overboard. A couple? Wasn't there a bunch of them? There was a bunch of them, but I'm, so, I'm sorry that I didn't say the right number. I'm trying to be simplified here. All right. So yes, they dumped the tea overboard. Everybody okay. knows that story. In response, um, the British passed the Intolerable Acts. Yeah. I might be getting my things out of order. The Intolerable Acts might have happened first. Because didn't the Intolerable Acts include the, the tea taxes? I'm yeah I'm uh, I'm getting my stuff mixed around. It's too bad I haven't taught this lesson recently because then I might be remembering <laughs> the order of all the events. So yes, I I do not remember the order of the events, but yeah. Uh, but basically, so whenever the colonists try to, it goes down like this: the colonists try to say, "Hey, we're not happy about this thing. Something uh -huh. it doesn't seem right. So this is how we're going to react to that." And the British would respond by saying, "Oh, okay. Well, that's how you're going to respond. Well, we're going to play hardball our way and do this." And it's the two okay. of them are doing this to each other back and forth. The intolerable acts are an example of one of the ways that the British government kind of played hardball back. Though just the complete boycotting of all British goods is one of the ways that the American colonies decided uh -huh. to play hardball back. Uh, eventually, this is going to all boil over into the uh, Massachusetts. I don't remember if it's specifically Boston or if the entire colony of Massachusetts uh -huh. is going to be declared by the British government in rebellion. Oh. This is what leads to a British army being ordered to march to Fort Ticonderoga to seize the weapons, particularly the cannons there, to disarm the population so that they can't put up a rebellion, so that they can't fight back. Right. This lives in their attempts to get those guns are interrupted by the battles of Lexington and Concord, uh -huh. which, uh, though the British kill more or wound more people than they take casualties themselves, they've still got yeah. quite a few miles to go to Fort Ticonderoga, and the British commander decides, all right, we're going to get harassed all the way there. Yeah. It's not worth it. So he turns around and heads back to Boston. So it's American colony victory. So one could argue that it's a, it's a tactical victory, if not um, an actual uh, battlefield victory. Tactical in that the British were stopped from their goal and the Americans thus protected this arsenal, which is going to become important later. 
So okay. after the British Army retreats back to Boston, uh, eventually the Continental Army is going to be formed. The Continental Army, uh, about 20,000, not soldiers, 20,000 young men in, who are yeah. just excited about the idea of, ooh, I'm going to get a gun and I'm going to get to go shoot somebody and <laughs> oh earn gosh. battlefield glory for myself. Uh, surrounded, besieged the city of Boston. Mm-hmm. The siege lasts for the better part of a year. Doesn't that end. long? Yeah. What? So, sorry, the battles of Lexington and Concord yeah. uh, happen in 1775. Okay. So, not 76, 1775. We're still before in a, uh, Declaration yeah, of Independence. Yeah, we're before the Declaration of Independence okay. then. So, Boston is under siege, I want to say, until April of 76. Uh, that's when the guns from Fort Ticonderoga uh-huh. are finally brought up by the Americans, not the British. Yeah. Um, and they start firing on Boston, and the British get on their boats and as comic tactic they during the American away. Revolution and sail away. So it's after Boston is freed, liberated by the American yeah. colonies, a couple months after, rather, that the Continental Congress gets together again and decides that, all right, this is the time. We've tried everything mm-hmm. under the sun. we got to declare ourselves independent. And so the Declaration of Independence is written and signed. So if Britain hadn't reacted with such force, we could still be a colony of theirs. Or we would have been for longer. Like, we wouldn't have declared ourselves in our own country and fought for that if they hadn't have been such bullies. It's entirely entirely possible. Uh, If the British Parliament had just decided, all right, well, let's grant Parliament seats to Uh some of these American colonies, then, yes, that's also something that could have avoided the problem. But that was probably never going to happen. Why? Because of of the rule of power. So, Parliament, I have no idea how many seats there are in Parliament, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to use our own Congress as an example. Our Congress has about 500 and... 35, 545, somewhere around sure. their seats altogether. Um, so by law, by constitutional law, mm-hmm. there if I remember correctly by constitutional law, there are only there can only be 435 seats in the House of Representatives, and wow. there are two seats for right. every state in the Senate. Right. So the amount of senators can grow over time as new states may be added or whatnot. Yeah. But in the House of Representatives, no, the seat number stays the that same. That max is capped? I believe so. I might be wrong, but I believe it is capped at that. Oh, that might be important. Which means that if a new state does come into being, let's say that they do make Washington, D.C. a new state, Uh or Puerto Rico a new state, or maybe all that way out in Guam, it Uh gets to be a new state. Well, then that means that that's going to be six more senators. All of a sudden, the other 100, their power has diminished ever so slightly because there are six other votes now that get to have a say in things. Likewise, in the House of Representatives, if they are indeed, as I believe they are, limited to a certain number of seats, that means that some states that have multiple seats are going to have to give up their seats to create these three new ones at a minimum that Puerto Rico, D.C., and Guam would need. Well, and and even if it isn't capped in that way... Mm -hmm. It's same like with the Senate. If there's more votes, then my vote gets less power. Exactly, yeah, even if it's not the cap. So that's why I say I, I don't know if the British Parliament is capped, has okay. a cap limit or anything. But even if it didn't, yes, this means new voices coming into being. Mm-hmm. And those voices aren't necessarily going to... 
at, at the very least, it's going mm-hmm. to diminish the power of the people that are already there. Yeah. And people are usually disinclined. Even a group of people are disinclined yeah. to give up even a smidgen of their power. But they lost so, all their power when we won the war. They didn't. Okay, and I want to be clear. First off, they didn't know that. <laughs> and second off, us. we did not win the war. I don't think that, or I shouldn't put it like that. I don't think it is a fair thing to say that we won the war. I don't teach my students that we won the what? war. What I teach my students is that we browbeat them. We beat them in their pocketbook. But if so, someone's the winner, I want to be loser, clear. We're the winner. Uh, so, yeah, and that's fair. So I want to be clear about this. At, so the Battle of Yorktown, the siege of Yorktown, where Cornwall surrenders, yeah. that is considered to be the end of the American Revolution. Yeah. That's the, the the last major battle. Yeah. At the time, uh, there's the surrender at Yorktown, or in the few weeks, months after mm-hmm. Yorktown, this is the situation. The British still have control in the north. They still have an army of well over 20,000 soldiers in New York alone. The British still have the superior navy. The French navy leaves. They did not stick around. The French soldiers also leave. They do not stick around. They're called back to France. And the the Americans still are short on manpower, still are short on material, still are Uh short on money. But the British have all of these things. And again, as I just mentioned, the French, the major support that the Americans had are gone. King George III wants to keep up the war. Benedict Arnold has several military campaigns in mind that he's, if I remember correctly, he sold King George on. He Uh wants to continue to prosecute the war. After Yorktown. At, yeah, all of this after Yorktown. Okay. So, so the situation after Yorktown is still very, very, very much in favor oh. of the British Empire. But because during the war years, membership in Parliament has changed. A lot of the old MPs are out. New MPs have come in, uh-huh. and the cons- and the the what's the word I'm looking for? The divisions in Parliament have changed. Now the division of Parliament that wants peace, wants to settle with the American mm-hmm. colonies, is larger than the population or the faction in Parliament that wants to continue to prosecute the war. Oh. Basically, you have uh, you have one faction that's like, "How dare these uppity upstarts? Right. No, we're not giving up our empire." And the other half saying that, yeah, "But this is." costing us a lot of money and these guys are worth more to us as as uh, customers for us to sell our stuff to instead yeah. of continuing to spend money fighting this war and then they also have this other little kernel of knowledge on their side what? they're gonna come back they're <laughs> gonna come be back. back soon you'll see yes that song is very appropriate <laughs> there was every reason to believe that they're gonna come back because as yeah. the as the American colonies are going to quickly find out and many other countries that have declared independence over time have uh-huh. found this out it is very very hard even after you've won your independence yeah. to then keep it or to maintain to create a new government a new country that everybody will get behind well yeah like the United failed. States the United States largely got lucky. Yes, the French Revolution failed. They ended mm-hmm. up back in the hands of a dictator afterwards. Yeah. A lot of the other countries in the um, this side of the world mm-hmm. did not were not as lucky as the United States was. The United States got lucky. We we came darn close to it all falling apart, but we actually managed to maintain a level of stability. Okay. But Mexico, throughout much of its history, was never able to hold on to that stability. Mexico and a lot of the Central American and South American nations have been plagued by problems. Some of them still are, to this day, having those governmental problems because the people aren't really unified or the governments aren't really stable. Okay. Running and managing a country is a hard thing to do. So it is natural that the, a lot of British members of Parliament thought they're going to come back. 
once they realize how hard it is, and particularly once they realize they've lost the protection of the British Empire, they're going to come back. So, uh, like, among the hardships that the United States is going to uh, have after the independence is over is, okay, one, yeah, they they don't have a large army. Mm -hmm. They don't have a navy at all. They do not have a successful enough means. They have a lot of debt that they need to pay back. If but gonna we've be... established we don't actually pay back debts. And if we're going to pay back our debts, we need to be able to have merchants yeah. that can sell stuff. Yeah. But because of mercantilism, remember, what is mercantilism? Uh, what Government-controlled yeah. And who, is, who are you allowed to buy from or sell to in mercantilism? Only who the government approves. Yes. And the governments of Europe, uh-huh. many of whom are practicing mercantilism don't approve of American merchants and goods. The Americans cannot sell their goods in British colonies or England. They cannot sell their goods in French colonies or France. I believe the same thing is true of Spain and the Spanish colonies as well. America is forced to go to what you and I would call the third world nations of that era to try to find markets for its goods. But we don't need them. We don't need them. It's a big land with lots of resources. We can build our own economy from the ground up with just us. At the time, it was just the 13 colonies. But we had all this potential. Yeah, but potential. So many natural resources. Okay, honey, you know as well as I do that potential doesn't feed you. Potential potential doesn't make money. You have to do something with that potential to make money. If they worked a little harder. One of the most com- <laughs> this, this is one of the reasons why I like strategy games, particularly empire and city building games. Mm-hmm. One of the most common mistakes that I see every rookie strategist or player of these games mm-hmm. make is that they'll co- quickly build up their industry so they can. I'm going to pick on shirts. They're going to quickly mm-hmm. build up their industry so they can make lots and lots of shirts and start mm-hmm. selling those shirts to make money. Okay. Well, people, you need to find people that actually want to buy those shirts. Right. You can guarantee that you will make the shirts. You cannot guarantee that you will find somebody who will pay you for those shirts. This is this is a business yeah. 101. You can start your own business. You can make your products, yeah. whatever the heck you want to make. But unless you can find somebody who's willing to give you money right. for that thing you're making, your business is a bad business. But there are customers in the new world, in the colonies. Yes, but the colonies need to be able to export things. If the colonies are only exchanging money amongst themselves, Mm -hmm. then they're not generating new revenue that they need to pay back other countries. They need Mm -hmm. more wealth to be brought in instead of just circulating the amount of wealth they have amongst themselves. Okay. So they're they're, they're, they're these two economic means. (laughs) You can circulate your money throughout yourself, but then that means that your economy is never expanding. In fact, you need to bring in outside money, outside wealth, or else, yes, your economy is going to eventually become stagnant. This is one of the great problems that the Roman Empire had. Their economy Mm -hmm. was based on raiding, conquering. And when they ran out of places that they could conquer because they were too weak or those places were able to fight back better, their economy eventually flummoxed because they just had that same amount of wealth circulating throughout their empire instead of bringing new wealth in. It's just, I don't understand economics clearly because it's like that just sounds like self-reliance to me don't and that's worry about not it because most thing. people do self-reliance is a bad thing oh my gosh stop so, so i want to be clear self-reliance self-reliance in that you and i make enough money to meet our demands and we uh-huh. need to change the money to for the things that we demand that is a good thing but uh-huh. what we're missing there is the key to that part that 
I am not growing all our own, or rather we, sorry, yeah. we are not growing all our own food. We are not making all our own clothes. We are yeah. not creating our own electricity. We are not gathering our own firewood. We yeah. are not out hunting our own prey. We are not um, taking care of our own medical needs or whatnot. Mm-hmm. No, we do something. One thing that we do really right. well, I teach. And then I trade mm-hmm. what I get from my teaching for all these other yeah. goods that people can make better than me. Yeah. So why do country. we need more countries for that? There's enough. The we fact have that enough you were neighbors. Me that tells me that you're not understanding. I'm not understanding. We have enough neighbors in our own colony. One neighbor grows apples. You are one wrong. neighbor hunts. You are wrong. We don't. Okay. We do not have enough neighbors. Or rather, we do not have enough efficient neighbors is perhaps a better way. Okay. The, the, one of the most basic things that we learn in economics is this idea. Let's, I'm going to pick on the United States and China. Let's say okay. that the United States makes really good cars. Yeah. And China makes really good computers. Okay. All right. America makes... We can make computers here, but our computers are crap. Okay. China can make cars, but their cars are crap. Yeah. So what is actually better for the United States to make cars and make computers so that everybody has a good car here mm-hmm. but a crap computer? Or does it make sense for the United States to make cars and only cars and then trade some of our awesome cars to China so mm-hmm. that they can not waste their resources making their crap yeah. cars and trade us their awesome computers? Now... Both China and the United States are happy because we both have good cars and we both have good computers. If you can find somebody that makes something better than you, and that is almost always the case, particularly in foreign countries too, then you are doing yourself a disservice to try to be self-sufficient here instead of acknowledging that, hey, you make a better good, let's trade. No, and that makes sense. I get it. I just don't understand why at this point in history... Revolutionary War times that it needed to be on a global scale rather than just a, a because there's beyond, not between the colonies because so. there's not enough money in the colonies. Okay, so they need to take some of the stuff that they mm-hmm. make and sell it to other places so they can get money. Uh, for the simplest terms, there's not enough gold in the United States. Gold is very much the but money the of that time. But the streets are paved with gold in the Americas. That idea hadn't started yet. Oh. <laughs> I thought that was Jamestown. No. Jamestown, the streets weren't paved with gold. Pocahontas just lied to me. They were looking for gold, but nobody on board that boat thought okay. the streets were paved with gold. There were no, they knew there were no streets okay. where they were going. <laughs> okay, not paved with gold, but, but Pocahontas, the movie, told me that they came looking for gold. Yeah, that's it. No, they that's thought true. they could just pick it up they off came the ground. Look, they came looking for gold. They thought they could pick it off the ground. Yes, that is okay. true. They thought that. But no, there okay. wasn't that. Uh, there yeah, wasn't enough yeah. gold in the United States, right. so they needed to take what they did have enough yeah, they, of and find people to trade them for gold. Okay, gold that they could use to buy other things they needed from other countries, not the least of which was to pay back their debts. Okay, so what was the solution then? Britain like cuts us off, but we somehow survive. So yeah. what? What do we do? We got lucky. How? Okay, so the trade embargoes, they don't last forever. We are able through diplomacy to eventually make deals with Britain and France and a lot of other countries oh, okay. to be able to sell our goods here and there with them. So a lot of the mercantilism loses its effect. But in the beginning, 
it was it was ironclad. No, they weren't going to let us create like our goods long? for that. I don't know the time. Okay. The, I'm pretty sure it didn't last more than uh, 10, 20 years because around about the time oh. of the French Revolution, things change up a little bit. The United States mm. is in a bit, bit better of a financial situation. But this is one of the reasons that does lead to what you may or may not have heard of the Barbary Wars. Have you heard of these? Uh, I've heard of Barbary Pirates. Yes, Oh, I was right? That's them. Oh my, I have no idea what right. it is. So, because, I'm excited, though. So this is a combination of the, these mercantilism okay. problems that we talked about. Because the Americans need to look outside of Europe for people to buy their goods or to trade with yeah. people. And because they've lost the protection of the British Empire, right. the Barbary pirates are going to have easy pickings on American ships for a while. Because Americans are having to go into North Africa and into the Middle East and into Southeastern Europe to try to find customers for their goods. Okay. That and also we know that the British government kind of went up to the Barbary diplomats and basically – or to the Ottoman Empire because the Ottoman Empire was – quasi in control or influential okay. with the Barbary states and the Brit we know that the British told them it's like hey these ships that have this flag free ride oh my gosh and, and honestly even if the British hadn't said anything the first time an American ship sails by these these places yeah. are known to be pirates or pirate havens yeah the first time an American ship sails by those pirates are gonna say hey we don't recognize that flag yeah they're new players they're probably not significant yeah let's go get them we have no reason to be afraid of them Okay, so the Barbary area, you're saying that's like North Africa? That's North Africa. So particularly uh, what is today Morocco and Libya. They weren't okay. Morocco and Libya at the time. Yeah. Well, actually, I think Morocco was Morocco at the time, but Libya wasn't Libya at the Got time. Got it. So uh, if I remember correctly, um, Portugal was a good friend of ours, and Malta was a good friend of ours during this time. Uh -huh. Portugal also didn't like the Barbary pirates, and so they let American ships dock in Portuguese ports, and Malta oh. did the same thing for us. When we eventually did start fighting back against the Barbary pirates, we were also able to use them as like bases to launch some of our attacks. Oh. We made a deal with Morocco pretty easily where we bought them off so that they would stop attacking us. But the one with uh, Tunis, I believe the kingdom was Tunis or the kingdom might have been called Is Tripoli. Is it Tunisia? Uh, Is it no. the same area? Okay. No. Um, so I don't remember if the kingdom was called Tunis or if the kingdom was called Tripoli. A city was called Tripoli. So you, okay. you've heard the song uh, from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. Yeah, I thought it was talking about that gambling game that you played with the kids. No, it's not talking about oh. that gambling game I played <laughs> with the kids. It's talking about the time that the U.S. Marines actually did invade the the area oh. in, uh, in Tripoli to fight the Barbary Pirates to get them to stop raiding our ships. Oh, okay. None of this was ever taught to me in relation to the American Revolution. It's, it's not taught. So, but uh, <laughs> unless I'm mistaken, though, to this day, yeah. people that live in that area, so that live in Tripoli and Libya uh -huh. and Morocco, they still celebrate it. They, I, I know I remember I read an interview with at least one person who was talking about it, how he and uh, people that he know, his family, his yeah. friends, they're all proud because they are the first nation to bring the fight to those dirty, rotten Americans all the way back then. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Yeah. History is cool. Wow. Okay. So what did any of the, was there more that you were going to say? What did any of this have to do with history starting 1776 and all of that before it was a mistake? <laughs> So not everything before that was a mistake. <laughs> History before 1776 taught us how to build dams, taught us how to grow food, taught us how to stop wandering around half naked trying to hunt our food. <laughs> History taught us but how to make... after 1776 is when we got capitalism and all these other great things. I'm not saying that good things didn't happen afterward, but we've still made mistakes <laughs> since then. No, we haven't. Uh, I don't remember what they were called. What were those? Uh -huh. What were those robots called that that they looked like like a little bird thing that could talk? Furbies or f f f f 
Her. What are those things called? Furby might be right. Furby, okay. There, those I, little gremlin alien yes, toys. Yes, I would argue that those things were a mistake. <laughs> those were a mistake. I, I don't know if I've ever told you this. Maybe our listeners will get a kick out of this. So my first experience with one of those things, uh, I was yeah. in high school. Uh, we were doing a play. I don't remember which one. And one of the cast members brought it to school with her. Mm-hmm. And it was just sitting out there during rehearsal. And uh, I remember uh, we're all kind of stopped because our director is trying to talk to us about something. And all of a sudden we hear this voice out of nowhere and we all stop and freeze. Because we all know what oh, yeah. said it. And we're just watching it. It's like, Demon. Who told that thing to talk? <laughs> and we're just, we're all sitting there waiting quietly for a moment. And yeah, I can't speak for everybody else, but I, mean, I was thinking, that thing's possessed. Yeah, of course. <laughs> all of them were. Anyways, do you have anything else that you want to tell me about the American Revolution? So there, uh, to dispute something that, um, that mm. uh, Ron Swanson said, mm. I would argue that uh, history... So his point is to say that history starts with America. Oh yeah, and I would argue that the, the number the, one. <laughs> I would argue that the birth of America actually goes back a little bit further than that. Mm. Uh, I don't, not terribly further. I don't remember the dates off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But um, the Seven Years' War, the portion of the, that is effectively a world war between the British and the French. Okay. Uh, throughout, um, I think the Spanish get involved in it too. Uh, through all their colonies throughout the world, yeah. the American part of that was known as the French and Indian War. Right. And it's, in my opinion, it's actually after that experience that the British colonists stop thinking of themselves as being British colonists and start thinking of themselves as no, we are British citizens. Oh. We fought for king and country. We supported the crown in this war. We did our part. We approved our loyalty. Yeah. We approved our worth. We are not just colonials the people yeah. that the mainland sent to all the far out places to uh-huh. get rid of us or to supply them with goods we are players we, we are worthy respect. yeah I, I dare say that it's that experience so that starts shaping the idea then. yeah and i'm sure that there are plenty of arguments that it could have mm-hmm. even been stated earlier but for me that's mm-hmm. what that's the point that i usually think that all right this is the start of what it will eventually become the american identity oh wow that's cool I think so. That's pretty cool. Okay, so going back way to something where you started talking at the beginning. So Lexington and Concord Mm -hmm. and driving the British out of Boston, all of that happened Mm -hmm. before the Declaration of Independence. Before July 4th, 1776. So by Ron Swanson saying, the the siege of Boston, the battles of Lexington and Concord were mistakes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That would also mean that the boss, uh, that the people protesting in Boston before the massacre, those people may were making mistakes. That was pre. That would also say that the Boston Tea Party was a mistake. <laughs> I don't appreciate this line of <laughs> this line of discussion. Well, this is what happens. So Ron is don't get me wrong, Ron is a lovely guy. I, I, I love him, and I think he's very intelligent on a lot of things. But obviously, from that, there are some things that he does not know. I, mean, I, I know there's plenty of things that I don't know. But he's a fictional character. So. He is a fictional character. <laughs> it's much more funny to say it the way I, Ron says it than to say, I, I, before Lexington and Concord. <laughs> I, I agree, but at the same point in time, the, the, what Ron said is, I think, mm-hmm. reflective of the intelligence limit yep. of most people. Yep. I think most people think that, oh, it all began on July 4th, yeah. And if they have, if they do remember hearing about Lexington or yeah. Concord or any of these other things, they probably do think that all happened after July yeah. 4th, 1776. Yeah. No, I, I think you're probably yeah. right. Like, 
if you asked your average American to put these things on a timeline, I think we're very likely to put Declaration of Independence at the very beginning. And I and I totally get that because as I think I've confessed in here, I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> not sure I remember all the the timeline details. Yeah, like I remember yeah. what they were and the abouts of when they happened, but not necessarily the proper order. Mm-hmm. So I get it. It's it still saddens me, but I get it. <laughs> very cool. Yes, I'm glad you agree. You actually said the history is cool. Um, not sure I said that. Yeah, you did. I'm you saying this conversation you has think been cool. History is cool. No, this conversation I think... about history. So you think history is no, cool? No, just spending time with you is cool. Oh, thank you. I, I I could be sitting here not listening to a word you say, but it's still cool to spend time with you. As your husband, and I think every other <laughs> husband listening to this podcast will agree with me. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> you. What me? Me? You're the one that started it. I didn't start anything. Anything else we need to know? Because we're going to end this. Do we right need now. to know? There's lots of stuff that, pe- in my opinion, that people need to know about history <laughs> of the United States. How but... many class periods does a good American Revolution class usually cover? Like, <laughs> what's the minimum class number that you would need I can't to s- really teach it? I can't say the minimum. I think. I think the best that I've ever done is I've I've gotten everything that I wanted to get out mm-hmm. in definitely less than four hours, so four class periods. Huh. But I don't know if I've got, I don't know if I've gotten it down to two hours yet. Well, you got, just got it done to uh, less than forty-five minutes. <laughs> but we didn't go over everything that I teach my students. Yeah, all the important things. I remember correctly when I was preparing a World War II lesson, mm-hmm. uh, my clerks they were. <laughs> I miss those guys. They, they were they were being very kind, and they were constantly asking me questions about it. Like, so, Mr. Brown, how's the World War II lesson coming? Yeah. Because my original World War II lesson, yeah. I kid you not, uh, 14 hours. Holy cow! The original one that I put together, 14 <laughs> hours. And so I spent a lot of weeks whittling out this How do you cut and that it? and the other thing to find things to cut. Because there's because there was a mixture of there there's so much information about yeah. it and then there's the mixture of okay what is like actually important for you mm-hmm. to need to know and then at the same time but what is super cool and mm-hmm. that should be mentioned yeah that is true so yes, I, I believe I was able to cut the American Revolution down to at least four hours oh I don't remember gosh. how long my original one on that might have been <laughs> oh and, and for if anybody is curious that uh, that uh, what did I say that 14 hour one yeah no it wasn't 14 it was 22 Ooh. 14 was one of the milestones <laughs> So yes, it started off at 22 my, uh, 22 hours, and I believe I was able to whittle it down to eight. No, I whittled it down to nine. Oh my gosh. I don't know how you Ten do if it. they asked me a lot of questions, and often enough they did. Well, yeah, and that's your favorite part. Yeah, that's my favorite part. I love, I love it when people ask me questions. If they don't ask me questions, then a lot of times I'm just standing up here talking. And then it's boring. It's very boring. And I can see them falling asleep. Definitely not learning if they're falling asleep. Mm-hmm. I did not fall asleep today, so you did good. Thank you. Thank I you appreciate for, that. <laughs> thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, then please subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to hear a future episode with more information about today's topic, contact us on Gmail, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok at Married to History Pod. Also, please contact us if you have a silly question idea or if there's something from history that you would love to learn about. Just be sure to specify in your message if it's silly or serious because we don't want to treat a genuine quest for knowledge like a joke. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.
just be sure to specify in your message if it's a silly question. Nope. Start over. All right. Yeah, I'll start over. Got to be mean to her. I had a hiccup. My throat's a little scratchy, okay? Yeah, that's why I edit. <laughs> edit, schmidt it. 